Hi, I'm Jazz Hoti, and this is the INF Club podcast. If you're an INFJ or an INFP, then this podcast will help you understand more about yourself, inspire you on your own personal journey, and hopefully have some fun along the way. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode five of the podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Catherine Turner. Catherine is an author of contemporary romantic women's fiction that explores the power of love and human resilience in the wake of trauma and abuse. She grew up in foster care from the age of eight and is passionate about improving the world through literature, empathy and understanding. She also uses her voice to blog about mental health, trauma and ways we can be more compassionate as a society. Catherine lives in Northern Virginia with her husband and two children, and when she's not writing, she's likely reading or exploring nature with her family. Catherine is also an INFJ and a member of the INF Club community. Now, I don't want to say too much else at this point, just because I'd love you to listen to our conversation, but Catherine's first book is now available to buy. If you're listening to this in real time, it was released just a couple of days ago on Friday, It's called Finding Annie. It looks amazing. I've actually pre-ordered a copy myself and I'm really looking forward to getting started on it. We talk about the book and much more in this conversation. So here it is. I really hope you enjoy it. Okay, we're recording. Um, And first of all, Catherine, thank you so much uh, for doing this. It's really nice to be speaking with you. I'm really excited to be speaking with you as well. I love these um, interviews that you do, so I'm excited to be part of it. Oh, thank you. And no worries at all. Um, so first of all, I understand you're, you're currently in um, Northern Virginia, I think you've written in your, uh, on your um, written interview. So 45 minutes from DC. Um, but yeah. I, it sounds like you, you've also used to live kind of uh, still in Virginia, but kind of more rural. Um, so are, are you in the city right now? I'm not. I'm in a suburb. Um, okay. So and when I say 45 minutes from... DC, that's really if there's very little traffic. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, which is probably maybe um, like it, it, on a good day, basically, right? Yes, on a, on a really good day, like on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've kind of, you know, you've, you've, it's, it's either been kind of quite, so the suburb in which you're living now, you say it was a rural community you lived in before, so I guess was it a little bit more isolated than you are now, would it be fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Where I grew up was actually kind of as you're getting into farming country in the state. Um, Nestled in a little valley between the mountains and my town had about 5,000 people in it when I was growing up. (laughs) Okay, so quite a little town. So um, out of interest, what what sort of vibe do you prefer on balance now? Again, I know you're not in in a city right now. You're in, you know, more of a suburb. Um, but of the two vibes, which do you have a, do you have a favorite? So I think that's an interesting question because when I was growing up, I kind of had this sense of boredom almost with the area because there was, there were very few activities and that sort of thing. Um, but I definitely now kind of crave that more. I picture myself retiring somewhere out in the country in the rural countryside. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting, isn't it? And I think, I think you're right. It kind of, I think it does change with age. Um, and I think, yeah, some of it comes down to kind of reality and, and practicality. Um, because I know I've been to a few places that are kind of quite remote and I've, you know, had been like, Oh wow, it must be so nice to live here. But actually right now I, it probably wouldn't be the reality of it probably wouldn't be right for me just because it can be kind of quiet. Um, and I do quite, um, again, where I am, um, just outside of London, we're in a suburb and it's mm-hmm. nice because we're just five minutes from a, you know, from like a, a park, um, one of the kind of bigger parks in London, but at the same time, um, you kind of, you, it's not, it's not crazy busy, but actually it's, there's enough going on, if you know what I mean. And you can kind of, you, you've got access to, you know, you know, I can get into London pretty easily. Um, so it's kind of a nice balance right now, I feel. And yeah, maybe, maybe in a few years time, I'll, uh, uh, you know, that'll change. And, uh, the thought of being somewhere a bit more quiet will be quite nice. 
<laughs> yeah, it's um, and, and a lot of different factors play into it too. Um, I know, like for me personally, my husband and I debated moving out kind of further and more into a rural area before we made our last move, but we chose to kind of stick with the suburb because of having children, right? So right. that we still have access to, you know, the kinds of activities and school systems and that sort of thing that we'd like them to have access to as they're growing up. And then later when they're, you know, we kind of kick them out of the house, right? <laughs> Off to college and stuff. Then we could kind of go back out into the countryside and live a quieter life. Yeah, no, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense for sure. Um, and you, you mentioned you mentioned your children, and I know you did say that there is a chance that they they might give us a, a, a gentle interruption whilst we're speaking. So uh, that'll yes, be kind they... of fun. That'll be kind of fun if it happens. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, one thing you mentioned in your written interview was that you didn't have a television during your formative years. Um, and uh, I guess so I wanted to ask, what, what age did you have a television? So I don't remember, I mean, I remember having access kind of to a television infrequently up until I was about five, because I remember watching some movies. Um, but then I definitely, we didn't have a television at all at, again until I was about eight. But once I was eight, we, we had the television there, but we didn't have cable or anything like that. And my, and that was when I went into foster care. My foster mom had a rule that we couldn't watch television until we'd read, which was totally fine with me because I much preferred to read. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you said that. So you said you, you might, you preferred a book to a screen. Yes, um, I always that, have. <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of sounds lovely, if I'm being honest. And, and I mean, one of the things I'm continuing to work on is really just managing my own kind of relationship with, with technology and, and screens. Um, but what is it like for you now? Do you, do, you, do you watch much television today? Do you still prefer to read instead? Um, what, what does that look like for you at the moment? So generally speaking, I prefer to read. Um, there are certain, you know, kind of programs I, I like to watch. I think I had mentioned in one of the interview questions that I like watching The Mind Explained, for example, um, recently. Uh, but I also then watch movies or TV shows sometimes when I may otherwise choose to read to spend some time with my husband because he much prefers to kind of watch shows. Um, but we do it more on like a Netflix, Hulu kind of basis, right? <laughs> we don't yeah. use television on much during the day um we spend a lot of time outdoors got yeah that sounds nice and um yeah with, with these kind of streaming services i feel like uh it can go it depends on the sort of person you are it can go both ways um i think on the one hand you can kind of just be sat there watching stuff all day long but actually they also let you be quite intentional because they obviously don't have any adverts you can choose what you watch um so i guess it, it can be quite nice in that way I, I, out of interest, Catherine, do you think because you perhaps watch less TV growing up, um, that's informed? Do, do you feel like you watch less as an as an as an adult in some ways, or or, or not necessarily? I think there probably is some sort of a correlation there. Um, we form a lot of our kind of habits and likes and dislikes when we're young, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I imagine there is some sort of a correlation. Uh, yeah, but they, they're called, um, and it's the phrase you use, which I really like, they're called formative years for a reason, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the kind of things that you think of, like you feel some sort of nostalgia about when, in a, in a positive way, when you think back to your childhood, are going to be those, th is, that's going to be kind of what lingers, I think anyway, into your adulthood for the, for what you prefer to do for you know kind of comfort or relaxation yeah I, I, I quite like talking about nostalgia is there is there anything for you that is feels nostalgic whether it's i don't know an activity or, or a book or you know anything uh i love being outside um and reading and i know like i if i try if i close my eyes and i think back to kind of really positive nostalgic moments from my childhood. I remember laying out in the sun, like and holding a book up to block the sun from my face and reading a book, right? Like oh, laying out yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Was that was that there in, in, in Virginia? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, when you used to live out um in the in the rural the rural community. 
Yep. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Do you ever do that now? Sit outside and read or lie outside and read? Um, it's interesting that you asked that because I was just thinking about that the other day. Um, my kids, you know, my kids are young. And the younger they are, the more like direct involvement they need, right? As they get older, they kind of develop a little more independence and do more things on their own. And I was noticing the other day that they were kind of entertaining themselves. Um, you know, we were going out for them to color in the driveway with chalk and they were entertaining themselves and helping each other. And I thought, wow, I could actually sit out here and read a book. <laughs> and I was trying to remember the last time I had done that. And it had been since before I had kids that I just sat outside and kind of read a book. So. Um, I think it is something that I'll be able to engage in a lot more now. Yeah. And, and like you say, it's, um, I, I imagine I, I don't have kids of my own, but I've spent a lot of time with kids. I'm, um, my mum's the eldest sibling and I was the first one that came along of like the next generation. So I've kind of grown up around kids, mm -hmm. um, but I guess, yeah, it's, it's, uh, being a parent, I know is, is, is full on, but you know, as they, as they kind of start to get older and, you know, you can just leave them to do things, you know, and they can kind of be self managing as it were. Um, mm -hmm. hopefully you'll, you'll start to have more more time where you know you can uh, uh, just more time to yourself I guess and maybe you know maybe do some of those things that you might not have been able to do because I know your kids are still pretty young aren't they yeah yeah they're they're three and five so <laughs> they require a lot of a lot of involvement and it's a lot of fun it just means that you don't you don't have that same time for yourself that you maybe once had yeah yeah for sure um and uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about um, being outside and, and kind of reading, because I know um, you, you mentioned your experience with anxiety. And uh, in, in, as you describe, you've got a pretty hefty self-care list. <laughs> uh, with, yeah, I love, which, uh, yeah, I love the way you articulated that. And I know you, a couple of those things that you do, you know, you mentioned walking nature by yourself. You mentioned writing and journaling daily yoga and meditation um oops. yep sorry one second That's okay no go go for it thank you sweetheart i really appreciate it i'll tell you what why don't you put a couple more beads on here and i will tie it and put it on as soon as i'm off my call okay okay thank you sweetheart okay sorry <laughs> That's quite all right. We did think that that might happen, and I'll be honest, I might, I would have probably been a bit disappointed if it didn't happen, Catherine. <laughs> well, it's probably not going to be the only time. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. It's all good. Um, yes. So some of those things you know you do for your self care. Um, so yoga and meditation are, are those things you do every day. So I kind of I do a few minutes of meditation at the end of yoga. I mean that's part of like if you do a like a guided kind of yoga practice. At the end of it, you have the Shavasana, which is mm -hmm. essentially a meditative period, right? So yeah. I, I do that every every time that I do yoga. Um, and then I sometimes meditate separately, not as often as I really think I probably should. Um, generally speaking, yoga is a daily practice for me. Um, sometimes life gets a little crazy and that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, but generally speaking, it is kind of a daily practice as is taking a walk. Um, can be as short as, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, but just getting outside and taking a short walk by myself um, and kind of reconnecting with my thoughts and getting prepared for the day. Yeah, no, that, yeah. Um... That sounds really nice. And again, yeah, walk, walking kind of on your own, it, um, it, it's kind of different than walking, I guess, with others or even family members. You never quite, you can never really kind of be, can you, when you're, unless you're on your own and to have that kind of time to, you know, unwind and process and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's so, and that's kind of the key part for me is that ability to disconnect a little bit. Um, and I don't mean disconnect, like, from technology, which I also think is really important um, <laughs> to take some time every day to disconnect from technology, but more just kind of to disconnect from everything that's happening around me. Um, I have found that that combination of yoga and then taking a short walk is what gives me the maximum benefit for being able to do, to do that. And it's kind of a vital part in me managing my anxiety yeah um yeah no it feels really important and you know if it's working um but great i think different things work for, for different people and it you know seems like you found things that work for you 
do you do you do those things the yoga and the walk um at specific times of the day do you have a set routine or, or does it vary so generally speaking i have a routine <laughs> yeah. i'm kind of, um, very drawn to routine um yeah. which is kind of a marker uh anybody who kind of struggles with anxiety will understand because there's there's kind of this need for control um, that comes yeah. along with anxiety disorders, but, um, and routine helps to satisfy that a lot. Um, so generally speaking, I get up and I write first thing in the morning. Um, I may be actively writing or I may be editing or doing research or something, but that's my time to work on my writing career. Um, and then right after that and before, um, like the kids are ready for breakfast is when I generally do yoga so that I can do it kind of quietly and peacefully without being interrupted. Yeah. It, um, and we'll kind of get, get onto kind of routine and what your, what your kind of day looks like. Cause I know you're, um, you're an early riser from the looks of your, your written interview. <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> it, it feels like the big reason for that is so you can get your writing done. Is that, am I right in saying that? Yeah. I mean, I am a morning person and I always have been. Uh -huh. um, so it's not as difficult for me as it may be for some people to get up really early in the morning. Um, but yes, I would not otherwise choose to set an alarm for four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we're going to get into your writing uh, in, in just a minute, but I am, um, you, you you kind of just the way you describe um kind of you know uh, making choices based on you know what parents were encouraging a society and that sort of thing and you know doing sensible stuff that paid the bills yep. uh, that really resonated because i am um, it's interesting i kind of um enjoyed a variety of subjects at school i think i just really enjoyed learning for learning's sake Mm -hmm. and without any pressure you know before it got all serious and we had to think about what we wanted to do with our life and exams and that exams that mattered and that sort of thing but I ended up choosing maths and the sciences and a big reason for that was because I thought you know doctor dentist lawyer banker type thing would be what I'd end up doing because it's the safe thing to do um, right. I was given I was fortunate in that I was given a pretty decent education and you know the school in which I went to it was kind of expected you go to university and you do something in quote 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 unquote marks impressive um and I know I guess for you your your um you know your version of that was um uh accounting or kind of the uh, maths I, I think I recall reading you know you were talking about um I forget it, it was I forget which part of maths you were mentioned was it calculus in your interview <laughs> yes yes specifically multivariable calculus <laughs> that was my downfall <laughs> yeah like i uh i mean i did it maths was not and i did maths too so in 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 england high school in your final year you do three a level subjects those mm -hmm. maths but my goodness maths was not my favorite subject and again i did it because i thought you know at the time i wanted to be a doctor and that sort of thing um but yeah, for you, it feels like, you know, you mentioned, I guess, the reading. It feels like writing has kind of always been there as something you've, um, you've enjoyed. Um, yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I, alongside kind of study, you know, were you writing or is this, it was writing more something you've kind of returned to now in, in adult life? So I did a lot of writing, like when I was in grade school. Um, I remember the very first kind of real memory that I have from writing, um, and I talk about this a little bit on my website in the about me section, but, um, is writing like this little mini essay, I guess you could call it for a competition about why my mom's lasagna was the best lasagna and I was five mm -hmm. and, <laughs> and I won the, I won the little competition. Right. Um, and that stands out in my mind, like really stands out in my mind as my earliest memory of actually writing um but i definitely wrote throughout my childhood i wrote poems i wrote short stories i wrote a novella once um but i i had some difficulty with sharing it with people um i had shared the novella that i wrote with the teacher and she had an unexpected reaction to it. And I didn't understand what it was then. I understand now what it was. Um, the subject matter was a little odd for a 10 year old. Um, but 
uh, I didn't really understand it then. And so I, I kind of developed this fear of sharing my writing with people. And so I kind of struggled with that. I did, I did end up taking a creative writing class in high school the, when they started offering one um, because they hadn't always had one and I shared some of my writing in there, but it was still a very difficult thing for me to do to share it. And then after I went to college and I started focusing, particularly when I went back the second time and I was focused on getting a business degree and, you know, getting a degree in accounting, I kind of stopped doing anything that was creative really. Um, and that included writing. Um, was, this, was this the second time you went back to college, Catherine, you're talking about when you went back to study again and, uh, you know, just trying to, uh, uh, this was the second time, was it, um, that you yeah. went back? You, yeah, you're the period you're talking about? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yep. I, um, I mean, I hadn't been doing a whole lot <laughs> from between my freshman year of college and when I finally went back to college a few years later. So in that like three year intro period, I didn't do a lot, mm -hmm. but I pretty much completely stopped after I went back to school and I was focused on getting a business degree and I felt that it was more shortcoming of mine that I was so interested in something that is, you know, kind of frequently not very well respected because it's harder to make a living. Um, and so I just kind of tried to suppress it and ignore it for several years, but you know, that never works long-term. <laughs> Everything always comes back at some point. Yeah. You know, hearing you um, talk about that reaction as a 10 year old that you, you were given by, you know, a teacher, the, the, the num it's, ama it's amazing, I guess, the effect that kind of teachers can have and sometimes even unwittingly. Um, the, the number of people I've spoken to who have, you know, an experience that they can clearly recall that was, you know, I got this reaction and pretty much, you know, that was, uh, I think after that, I, I had a real hard time sharing my stuff. Um, and again, formative years, right? Um, formative years as, uh, uh, you know, a, a highly sensitive person. I think we really... Um, can really have an impact on us. Yeah, it's it, it's funny too. And you know, there the combination of your know, personality type and life experiences plays such a huge role in it too, because it may not necessarily be a poor reaction even on behalf of these people that we hold in such high esteem, right? Like our teachers, but more our interpretation of it. Yes. You know? Um, really key isn't it it's the interpretation part that's probably that is it i think you've hit the nail on the head yeah it really makes a big difference yeah um yeah no for sure and um you uh you you kind of briefly mentioned you i think you said in that kind of did you say that it was three years between freshman year and then going back to college yes it was and you, and you, <laughs> said, you said you weren't doing much what what, what was what was that what was that period of your of your kind of life like where you I guess I don't want to put words in your mouth you know was there confusion there where you did, yeah were you, so yeah were you being pulled in different directions um so I guess the the best way to describe it would probably be a period of making one bad decision after another <laughs> Um, but it all was kind of initiated by confusion, right? Um, yeah. that, that after that freshman year of college, so I, I, I went to school um, my first year of college and I had a full scholarship and, you know, I was required to maintain a certain GPA in order to keep my scholarship, of course, which makes complete sense. And that very first semester, I took multivariable calculus, um, which was the natural next step. I had taken, calc you know, first two college level um, calculus courses in high school and placed out of them. And I thought, this is not, this is not going to be a huge deal. Um, but I discovered something about myself that I'd never realized. And that was that I was a visual learner. So once we started trying to do stuff that was beyond like three dimensions, I was completely lost. Mm -hmm. So I spent that semester in tutoring so that I would be able to maintain my GPA, but then I was completely lost. <laughs> I had no idea what I was going to do. It was, a, it was obvious that I was not going to be able to pursue math. And math was going to be the major that I used to pick a, to, to find a career, right? Like, uh, something with stability, um, 
and sec job security. And so I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I took a series of liberal arts classes, a lot of philosophy classes <laughs> my second semester. Um, but then I decided to take a year off to try to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh -huh. um, my scholarship was, you know, I had a full scholarship, but it was based on four years. So if it took me an extra year to figure it out, I would not have, I would not have an extra year paid for essentially. And coming from like a background in foster care, I had a wonderful foster mom who raised us, but she had adult kids of her own when my sister and I went to live with her um, when we were little. And she was, you know, she was not prepared to be putting kids through college again. <laughs> um, so the financial aspect was also really important to me. And so I decided to take a year off and try to figure out what it was that I was going to do, what I was going to pursue when I went back. Um, and I ended up, um, ended up in a, in kind of a financial situation because my, my, my college was in another part of the country and that I, I financially, I couldn't even find gas money to get back to school. And so I lost my scholarship and then kind of wallowed around, I guess, and made a series of bad decisions thinking I'd never be able to go back to college for a few years before I kind of got my act together and decided to change my, do something about my circumstances. Sure. Yeah. No, thank, thank you for sharing that. And I, um, I, I actually, I, so I went to a recall college university here in England. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually dropped out twice of university. Um, I, it was a real, just confusing, overwhelming time for me, you know, being away from home, um, not, not, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. A bunch of stuff. Uh, not really knowing who I was, not having found my people, you know, I was going out kind of drinking, um, as I thought, you know, students were supposed to do. And then I would just hold myself up in my room for, you know, days after that, um, weird time it was a weird time and uh yeah it's definitely only it's probably only in my uh late 20s that i really started to figure out who i was kind of mid to late 20s mm -hmm. um yeah I, al I always i always saw myself as a bit of a um what do you call it a, a slow a slow burner a late bloomer you know you know i think i think that's a bad thing and there, you know there's such a negative connotation with late bloomer right and especially as i'm getting older the more i think about it the more i feel that there's it's more an issue with the design of the educational system it is not i don't think and i could be wrong right obviously <laughs> but i don't think it is really that normal to know what you want to do before you've been able to experience things right um, I and could not agree more, Catherine. I could not agree more. Yeah, it's really yeah. hard for people to go into college at 18, you know, 19 years old, and you have to declare something within a year. And you haven't had enough time to experience enough things to even know what direction you want to go, what you want to pursue. Um, I don't know if anything like, you know, anything would ever change, but I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said, you know, you go to college to learn how to think, right? And I, and then you kind of figure out what you want to do later, right? You, you learn about the world, you learn how to think about things and how to solve problems and that kind of, and that, that kind of like, that kind of um, environment is, I think how it should be, but maybe not so much how it is anymore, right? Um, yeah. Everything's so job focused. Right, it's, um, oh man, I mean, don't get me started on education. <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, they, um, you know, you still have the bell at school. Like I think school started, you know, in the, I think it was in the sixties to prepare people for going off to work in factories. You know, it was industrial revolution. That's why we've got the school bell and it's very much, um, yeah, kind of organized, wrote A to B. Um, but yeah, they, we've moved on a long way since then. And you know, the jobs that kind of exist in 10 years time, um, when today's kids are through school, 10, 15 years, some of them don't even exist. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky one. I've, I've thought a lot about education and I'm, I'm not sure, you know, whenever you've got kind of uh, structures and there's obviously a lot of kids, it's very difficult to provide like an individualized experience. Um, 
but I mean, I, again, and you know, I don't know. Like I said, I've not got kids yet, but you know, I've I've, I've thought uh, and I've I've, I've 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 observed other models of education and even things like you know homeschooling and unschooling, which have you know again kind of pros and cons. But um, yeah, I think I think a lot about this stuff, even though I don't have any kids. Just because I think I thought a lot about my own education and being like, actually, how could it have been, you know, better and for me not to have felt so uh, just confused, you know? Yeah. And I, and this is kind of, I'm sure beyond this, well, it is beyond the scope of the conversation that we're having for this interview today. But I, I wonder, you know, and I think <laughs> at least based on... Um, <laughs> Some things I've read and heard, this is probably the INFJ in me, um, <laughs> finding connections between things. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It, you know, it really makes me wonder, you know, all of these people have these midlife or even slightly earlier crises where they are like, what am I doing with my life? What am I, what is it that I'm actually doing and why am I doing this? And realizing that they've just kind of like been had to choose a path so many different times and they've ended up somewhere that has nothing to do with anything that they actually find rewarding. And I think that all kind of starts back with the educational system and this like intense grooming for picking a career immediately. Yeah, I am. Um, and, and you're right. It for, for whatever reason, it seems to be happening earlier. Um, they call it what the quarter life crisis. I am. Um, I remember at the time I felt I was like I'm I'm too young to be having a uh, midlife crisis. <laughs> I was like I was like 26. I was working uh, in recruitment in, in the city, like recruiting people into banks and things. And I was like, I kind of just fell into recruitment, you know, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But then I was also like, man, you know, I thought I'd maybe be able to, you know, stick this out for 10 or 15 years before having a crisis of sorts. Um, but yeah you're right it seems to be happening earlier and um yeah I, I think again there's something somewhere along the line there's something there's something going wrong with more and more people um and especially you know uh, you know us the kind of intu the intuitive feelers um what we who we are and what we do and being able to express that in our work feels really important um, and it, it looks like, you know, at some point or another, whether it's, you know, when you're 25 or, you know, 35, 45, whatever it might be, um, we, yeah, a lot of, and you know, a lot of us, not just intuitive feelers, we, we, we seem to experience some sort of crisis, don't we? Um, yeah, you, you say this is kind of not quite following the interview, but you know, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a nerd for talking about this sort of stuff. Catherine, so yeah, don't get me started. We could go off on all sorts of tangents. Uh, as as it tends to happen in, in in some of these conversations, um, I really want to talk about writing, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Um, and so yeah, we, we we briefly mentioned earlier. So you wake up at you wake up at four a.m. Well, I try to wake up at four a.m. That kind of depends on whether I had to work, go back to work after the kids went to bed, and whether the kids slept through the night or were waking me up. But generally speaking, yes, I set my alarm between four and four thirty every morning. Wow! And and what can I? What what time? What time would you go to bed then? In that case, so I try to go to bed before nine o'clock. Okay. In, in, in practice, does that happen more often than not, or is it kind of touch and go? It seems to be, I don't want to say touch and go, because it's not that there's a ton of variation from night to night, but more like periods, right? Mm -hmm. So we'll go, because my husband is on the same schedule but as, as I am, and so we'll kind of go through a few months where we're able to really stick to it. We can go to bed. Like we, we put the kids down and then we have a cup of tea and he, you know, he usually he either watches a show or looks up, um, does some research for he's, he's really interested in, um, and does a lot of woodworking. So he may be doing some research for next project, something like that. And then I read, um, with the tea and then we, and then we go to bed. Right. Um, and we'll do a really good job of that for a few months. And then something gets out of whack usually it's work related right we we have to work late we have to go back to work after the kids are down and then it's really hard to get back into getting to bed on time it's usually like a few weeks to a couple of months that we're not doing such a great job getting to bed on time we're a little more tired having a little bit harder time getting up in the morning and then 
things will calm down at work and we can kind of get back into it. So I don't want to say that it's 100% consistent, but it's not like a daily like touch and go kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for the context. Um, I guess it's nice that you're that the, the two of you are kind of keeping to the same schedule. You're kind of in sync. You know, it's not as if, you know, one of you is, uh, you know, heading off to bed early and then waking up before the other one. So that, that, that's really nice. Is your husband an introvert also? Yes, he is. He is. He's an INTJ. Okay. You know, the number of, the number of INFPs and Js who seem to have INTJ partners. It's <laughs> um, interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't even know if I need to say anything more than that. But um, so Lauren, Lauren Sapala, I, I believe her husband is also an INTJ. And I've come across others who, um, yeah, for whatever reason, it kind of seems to work. He's an introvert. He's, he, um, uh are there are there i'd be interested to ask you are, of course there are similarities are there any differences how, how did it kind of work day to day do you do you feel that there's a lot of alignment between your kind of personality types um we have i, I mean we have different approaches sometimes to problem solving right. um that can be challenging but in the long run, we actually think it's a really good thing because I may have a perspective that he didn't think about and vice versa, right? And so we, generally speaking, tend to kind of be happier with where we end up, even if we're kind of button heads in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. And like I say, butting heads, you know, less so than you might, let's just say if you were so different from each other, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that sounds, sounds lovely. And, and when was it you, um, because I think, I think you, you, you've written, um, you, you managed to spend um, up to a couple of hours each day, sometimes more, on your writing, you know, alongside, uh, you know, your, your, your day job uh, for the accounting firm, as well as, you know, having, having a family and a household, you know, a household to run. Um, when, was it you, when was it you made, you made that choice? Um, and, and uh, I, yeah, I guess kind of made that commitment to your writing. So a few minutes ago, we were talking about like the whole kind of midlife or earlier crisis, right? Uh -huh. I guess you could say that I had mine a little over two years ago. Okay. It was shortly after the new year in 2018. And it had been kind of there, right? Like in the background where, you know, if you think about like when you're looking straight ahead, and you have this blurry peripheral vision. So you're like kind of, you're aware that things are there, but you're not necessarily focused on it. Um, and I would say that it was kind of in my peripheral vision. Like I knew that it was coming. I just was ignoring it, I guess, right? Because that's kind of a scary thing when you come to this realization that you're not doing what would make you happy, right? Um, and feel fulfilled. And I, I just kind of, I reached that point and I, my, my sister, my younger sister was living with us at the time and I, <laughs> we got the kids down to bed and I sat my husband and my sister down and I said, so I have some news. I'm not fulfilled with my job and I want to go back to writing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a very scary thing to do, um, but there couldn't have been two more supportive people to start the conversation with. Um, so basically, I mean, it was kind of, it was born at that time that I decided that I wanted to go back to writing. Um, and my husband was, you know, he, he knows that I used to write um, and that it was a big part of my life. And on top of that, he's supportive of anything that will kind of make me feel fulfilled. Um, so he was basically just like, okay, that's great. What do you need to make it happen? Whatever it is, we'll make it work. Um, and it was kind of, it was difficult for a while because I didn't have that schedule set. I was not, you know, I didn't get up at four o'clock in the morning at that point. Um, and so for a while I was writing in the evenings and that meant that I was up really late at night and I was really tired and it was starting to kind of take a toll. Um, and if, you know, anybody out there who's listening to this, who's struggles with anxiety or other mental illness knows, um, being really tired makes it much more challenging to manage, right? So um, I realized that I needed to kind of, something needed to change if I was gonna be able to keep writing and keep 
like a handle on my anxiety. Um, and that's when we kind of came up with this new schedule. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned about my husband and me being on the same schedule because initially I changed to that early morning schedule and he was staying up at night. And then we decided that, cause he's more of a night person. He's less of a morning person than I am. Um, but then we decided to make a shift so that we uh, were actually, you know, going to bed together and getting up together and having coffee together in the mornings. Even if he's doing something different, you know, we're at least in the same room and we're awake and we can chat and that kind of thing. And and is that um, of of course I guess initially you know for him being an, especially being a night owl that might have been an adjustment but now that that's in place does that feel healthier than it was before? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and even even for him, I mean, he likes having this schedule. It was it was hard to you know make an adjustment from being up at night to being up in the morning, but you know he'll be the first one to tell you that he is way more he's at his most productive when we get up really early in the morning yeah um, there's um and, and i given the choice between the two i kind of feel like more of a night owl if i had to choose however i really like being up at a reasonable enough hour and getting you know good work done in the morning just because i feel psychologically so much better for it um mm-hmm. and i feel terrible if i've had a wasted morning um yeah. I, think, I think that's down to different factors um m- maybe one of them j- just is as human beings we're wired that way but also my mum is real stickler for um just getting stuff done and you know being up at, being up at a good time and you know getting stuff done and not wasting the day so i think she really maybe kind of ingrained that in me um but i think <laughs> for me it feels really healthy um and you you were talking earlier about um you know anxiety and, and and planning and you know feeling kind of safer with that um and I, yeah I, I i know exactly what you mean however i would also say that um and of course there's a fine line between you know being obsessive and you know kind of maybe being less obsessive perhaps yeah i'm an, I'm an infp and you know in in I've, I've kind of in the past gone through periods where i can just be real kind of laid back and lax with my routine and just get stuff done as and when and be like oh yeah because i'm an infp this is what i do whereas actually having a routine is so amazing and so good for me and it actually um yeah it just kind of still frees me up to kind of be able to be kind of relaxed and creative because i've I've got enough structure there to kind of you know play with if that makes sense Um, I think routine is one of the most important things like just in life for anyone. Um, yeah, I think there are a couple of, a couple of factors for that. I mean, there's the, there's the idea of like what I mentioned for me personally and people who struggle with anxiety is that, that sense of control, right? Because you know, what's going to happen. Yeah. You don't have unknown um, that makes you feel out of control, but then there's also and maybe this is just in our household, but my husband and I have talked about this at length before you have that sense of you're not taking time away from something else unintentionally. You don't, we don't have that like guilt of, Oh, I should be doing, I should be doing laundry or I should be cleaning the house or I should be doing extra work for my job or whatever it is because we have a plan, right? Like this, time that we have allotted to work on this and that's okay we've made sure that this fits in with everything else that we're doing and so we can do that without being distracted and worried about what else may need to be done yeah i hear you um i do want to mention just just throw this out there that i am not well i i definitely am a, a cling to routine right and having a routine mm-hmm. um that does not mean that in writing I'm a planner because I'm not. <laughs> well, yeah. I'd love to hear more kind of about that because, yeah, you know, they say writing and being creative, it's kind of, especially for us, you know, intuitives, it's helpful not to be so, you know, methodical and, and, and rational and strategic. So uh, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I, I absolutely can't. If I try to 
do like a, a formal outlining or fill in sheets to plan it it just it just destroys everything for me i can't do it um and it's funny because for a long time i thought there was just something wrong with me i was kind of quietly like when i went back to writing when i was younger i tried to do it i really tried i tried so hard to do it but when i came back to writing i was like you know this is for me it's okay if i never even publish any of this so i'm just going to do what works for me right so i do research and i bought books about writing because i was like i definitely want to improve my craft and everything talks about filling out character sheets and plans and having all of your major plot points before you start drafting and i felt like there was something wrong with me because it didn't work for me um but i just kind of quietly did my own thing because i was like there's nothing to lose at this point because i'm not counting on having to share it with people like and that took off that pressure like i can just do what i want to do and then i read um infj revolution after i discovered Florence Apollo, and i was like oh my gosh there's nothing wrong with me <laughs> yeah. i was like it's perfectly okay that this is how my brain works um yeah i'm definitely i'm not a, i'm not a planner so i i kind of had this i you know i have an, a general idea of like an idea will come to me and this is what i want to write about and i've I've at this stage, I've written, um, I've written most of the first series that um, I'm going to publish my first book that comes out next week, Finding Annie is the first one in that first series, but I've drafted bits and pieces of other ones. Um, so I kind of use the word outline loosely um, for kind of like the status of these other books but it's not that it's really outlined but i've had certain scenes come to me or how i want the what it is that i want the book to be addressing um a lot of my writing is rooted in nonfiction in my own life in my own struggles as an adult and so there are certain things that i want to address certain things that i, I want to get across um in each of the stories that comes to me i'm like this is a great way to kind of tell that story like to 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 get that across in a fictional way but that's real right realistic um and so i say i say outline for those but it's not really actually an outline it's more like random scenes drafted and bullet po list of bullet points of things that i you know want to make sure oh don't forget that i want this to happen kind of thing yeah kind of like you know writing fiction but actually kind of conveying uh you know kind of real life if you like non-fictional messages through the fiction if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah it really reminds me um i uh uh actually read a lot of non-fiction but i read um i've almost finished reading a fiction book called trusting the currents um by an author called linda um, polio and she um I, I actually, you know, I, I emailed her to tell her, I was like, it's the first fiction book I've read in a while. I really enjoyed it. And um, she, uh, um, she actually said, yeah, she said, she said, well, it is, you know, absolutely fiction, but actually it's kind of like nonfiction as well. Because again, there was very much a, um, uh, you know, like a kind of spiritual kind of underlying message to it, if you like, mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, trusting your instincts and, you know, all this other, other kind of stuff. Um, and Catherine, I've just got really excited because I've 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 um, jumped on your website and it looks like you've got a uh, so we're recording this on third of April um, mm -hmm. so, and you you've got a, a book coming out imminently it looks like yes I'm very excited next week and it will be out by the time obviously this 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 interview goes out so um oh please tell us about the book it looks gorgeous from the cover and from the description I'm I'm, I'm getting really excited just looking at it. Thank you. Um, I, I love my cover. I think my graphic designer <laughs> did an amazing job. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. I love it. Um, so Finding Annie is kind of the, I guess to put it in brief terms, is a story of a woman who's kind of finding herself and love and intimacy after a childhood kind of riddled with trauma. Um, She's, you know, she struggles with anxiety disorders as a result of her childhood trauma. Um, and she kind of, she goes back home for a period of time to house sit for her mother. And it kind of kicks off a series of events and people from her past um, and a lot of her past kind of comes back to haunt her and she realizes she kind of has, she's going to have to face it and start to deal with it. 
I don't want to give away too much. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. It sounds captivating. Um, and, and, and it's out April the 10th. So I'm sorry. It's out, it's out on April the 10th. Is that right? So is that a week? Is that a week today? That is exactly. Yes, today's Okay, yes, exactly a week from today. Is, is, this your, is this your first published book, Catherine? It is. It is oh my, my goodness, how doubly, triply, quadruply exciting for you. Thank you. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm, you know, I think understandably a little nervous, but I'm very excited. Sure. No, I can, I can only, I can only imagine. Yeah. A bit, a bit of nerves in there, but I kind of think nerves and excitement kind of lie on the same spectrum, if you know what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I also just, yeah, just kind of wanted to, to, to say to, to, uh, you know, anyone listening to this. So on, on, on Catherine's, on Catherine's website. Um, so kturnerwrites.com. Um, a, they, you can find out more about the book itself and, and what others have said. Um, but also you've got, you've, you write articles and you've kind of got a um, kind of, you write pieces about um, kind of trauma, you know, and abuse and uh, anxiety and, and, and other things, which, um, yeah, are, like I say, it, I can understand are kind of kind of meaningful to you. And, and um, I guess uh, it, it feels like, yeah, it feels like you've got some great resources on there for, um, for folks. Um, who might be experiencing or have experienced some of those things um, based based on based on what you've learned. Um, so I'd, in, I'd encourage folks to to check those out. Um, looking at the looking at the books also, um, you know, Catherine, the I've just started reading the Body Keeps the Score. I think that oh. I think that book was mentioned to me by kind of five or six different people or, you know, a couple of people mentioned it to me and then someone else said they, they'd read it. And I was at dinner with a friend a couple of weeks ago and she was reading it. So, um, yeah, again, there's some, uh, uh, some, some overlap. It looks like in, in, in what we're reading and actually off the back of that, um, you've got a book in there called complex P PTSD from surviving to thriving. Um, yes. so one of my friends read the body keeps a score and I understand that that complex PTSD book was like further recommended reading. Um, so I don't know which order you read them in, but, um, yeah. Uh, I, and I, I kind of feel Catherine, um, obviously, you know, things like trauma, anxiety are experienced in different ways for different people. Um, for, for, for INFs, uh, and I guess, you know, just intuitive feelers in general or any, anyone who's highly sensitive or empathetic i would say it, fe it feels quite useful to kind of explore some of this stuff anyway because i, I kind of uh feel that there are overlaps um in, in lots of places there um i don't know if you've got anything to say on that or if that speaks to you at all yeah and i i apologize i missed the last piece of that my kids are getting a little um antsy <laughs> So I apologize. Could you repeat the last piece of that? The overlap between the INFJ and um, just trauma? Feel, yeah, um, trauma, anxiety, all this stuff. You know, being em being empathetic, being highly sensitive. This stuff seems to just overlap in different ways. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm still kind of you know discovering it. Um, sure. As I'm doing more research and everything else, but I had that kind of initial epiphany moment when I read INFJ Revolution. And there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know, Lauren kind of talks about, she, you know, I'm sure you've read the book, but um, she talks about her life and kind of the, the struggles that she ha has had in her life related to her personality type. And there were things in there that I definitely had, I guess, kind of just assumed were part of like, I guess part of who I am as a result of the childhood trauma that I've been through. Mm -hmm. And the, and if you go to, if you go to like, um, really a number of the resources that are on my website, you can, and you read about like the long-term impact on kids who have had, you know, like substance addicted parents and been abused and that kind of thing there, you'll see a lot of, a lot of the same characteristics, right? Um, yeah. But it, it was kind of this eye-opening moment for me because I realized that, you know, I and and, and I mentioned this, I think, oh, in the yeah. I mentioned this, I think, in the um interview that, you know, I go to therapy. I know, honey, I'll undo them in just a second. 
Um, and part of that is trying to kind of undo those things, those kind of long lasting impacts that are strictly a result of what I went through when I was a child. Right. Um, but I realized that some of that may just be part of my personality and putting in effort to try to unravel it, thinking that it was strictly a result of trauma would have been a very frustrating and fruitless endeavor. <laughs> yeah. um, and that kind of gave, it gave me a lot of comfort really, right? You know, um, to realize that there may not be, there may be things about me that I don't really need to try to change because it doesn't mean that it's something that I'm still holding on to that I thought I had moved through, I had moved beyond, um, but it may just be part of my personality. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up um, because actually I, I, that, that part in your written interview I felt was really poignant. And I'm just going to read it out, if I may, um, just, just before the end here. Um, so you said um, there, was a, there was also another unintended impact from discovering my personality type. I mentioned earlier in the interview that I have a history of childhood trauma and abuse and I'm working to unravel the impact that has had on me for decades. Learning about my personality type helped me to understand that some of the weird traits I may I have may actually just be my personality rather than a manifestation of past trauma. If you look at characteristics of adults who experience significant childhood trauma and characteristics of the INFJ personality type, you'll see there are definitely some overlaps. Understanding that was a light bulb moment for me because I realized that some things I'm trying to unravel might not. And that wouldn't mean I was failing. It would just be because it's part of my basic personality. That realization brought an unimaginable sense of relief with it. I hope you didn't mind me reading that out. Um, that just felt really poignant and like a really uh, kind of important message uh, kind of to share. So um, thank you for, for sharing it and uh, allowing me to do so now. Um, Catherine, uh, the time's flown by as I, as I figured that it would. Um, just again, um, I, I, I want to, uh, should, should anyone listening to this want to connect with you, want to find out more about you, want to read your articles, um, read your book that's coming out, um, where, where should they go? How can they do that? Um, well, you can, for just kind of interacting with me, I'm on social media, um, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, though. I tend to be most active on Twitter and Instagram. However, just a little disclaimer right now with the coronavirus, um, with all of the school closures and everything, my time is a little tighter than it typically is. Um, having to split it between working and caring for the kids when they normally wouldn't be home. Um, but I am, I am trying to stay active there. Um, you can also email me kt at kturnerrights.com which is also linked on my website um kturnerrights.com and then for my book it's going to be for sale in both uh ebook and paperback format on amazon um you can find an ebook format from just about any retailer actually um and then barnes and noble will have not only ebook and paperback but also a hardcover edition Fantastic. And, and um, am I right in saying um, the book can be ordered, it'll be, they can order it from your website, um, kturnerrights.com? There are direct links to the major retail pages um, from my website. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, once again, Catherine, th thanks a lot for speaking with me. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd really encourage anyone listening to this. Um, to uh, yeah, have a look at Catherine's written interview, but also um, check out her website um, and uh, um, you know the articles and, and now the book that she's written. Um, like I say, I'm I'm kind of quite gripped by the uh, <laughs> by the little promo that you gave, and like I say, the, it looks like a beautiful book. So um, yeah, I'm quite I'm quite excited to to dive into it myself. Um, thank you, Catherine. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed doing this. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a quick reminder that anything I say or that anyone else says on this podcast is just a personal worldview. None of us are perfect and we definitely don't have all of the answers. We're just doing our best. 
You can find more content by visiting the blog over at www.infclub.substack.com. That's infclub.substack.com. If you add forward slash about to that link I've just given you, you can find newsletter and podcast archives, including today's episode. And if you like, you'll be able to join INF Club by signing up for free and you can also support the club and receive extra benefits by becoming a paid subscriber. Thanks again for listening today and I'll see you next time.